0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled dot lcom slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome
1: to the Road to Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. We're brought to you by WinBet. And I got a special guest this week. Clay Link is off. Uh, but Jeff Ponce from Baseball America is here. Uh, as I alluded to or referenced in my last article, uh, I think Jeff's uh, article from this winner on the best pitches in the minor leagues is uh, one of the best articles I've, I've read all offseason. And I think it's it's must read material for uh, not only people in dynasty leagues who I'm, I'm sure have been all over it and should have Baseball America subscriptions and everything like that. But uh, I think redraft players and people who do draft and holds can really learn a lot here because um, this is this is kind of ground that you can't just find from doing your own research, right? Um, so I thought having Jeff on would just be a, a really really fun show. Uh, but first, Jeff, how are you doing?
2: Doing great, James. Uh, I appreciate the the warm introduction and and just coming back onto the show. It's probably been a little bit, but um, always one of my you know, go-to, uh, podcast. And I think at this point, probably one of the longest running prospect focused, you know, dynasty focused podcasts out there. So congratulations on another season,
3: man.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. appreciate that. Uh, we were talking, uh, before we started recording, like you, you've got such a fascinating, um, kind of, uh, story of, of sort of your evolution in this industry. Uh, you started at RasBall. Uh, roughly around the same time I started doing uh, my prospect rankings at at RotoWire about eight years ago, and then you uh, started Prospects Live, which was um, very you know highly acclaimed. It's still an awesome site. People should definitely support Prospects Live. Um, but then now you're with Baseball America, and uh, I mean I got to imagine it's been kind of a whirlwind of of eight years or so. Uh, what's what's it all been like?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable because um, when I had first started doing this, I think, you know, a big part of it was I loved fantasy baseball and uh, had really kept up on content over the last couple of years, specifically like twenty, like two, 2009, 2010, around the time that like I bought my house and my wife and I were having, you know, uh, my oldest son. Um, and, you know, you need something to kind of, past the time like you know we lived in Boston before that and we went out all the time and you know we traveled and like did stuff that like young married people would do and like I you know I was in like fantasy leagues but it wasn't like the kind of thing where like I really kept up with it but I can remember I think it was 2009 and it's funny because I can I want to say it was either 08 or 09 but it was whatever the year was where like Cliff Lee broke out and I had drafted really well I think I had Lance Berkman who had like a crazy first half and I had picked up Lee like the first week of the season off the waiver wire, like in his big breakout year with Cleveland. And it's, I think some people can probably recognize, you know, resonate this or, you know, with this is you have a breakout like that and you want to like chase the dragon a little bit. Like you're like, I really like that feeling of (laughs) identifying this player and being like, wow, like, you know, I could do research or find out more and how can I get better at identifying these players? And so that kind of, brought me down the rabbit hole and i I used to read a lot of yahoo at the time like i can remember like Andy barons and you know a lot of those guys scott over there or even like brad evans like i you know i i I read a lot of their stuff and like picked up on a lot of their styles and it eventually led me to a friends and family post friends and family league post and they talked about gray albright as like the um hunter s thompson of fantasy baseball and as a big like fan of hunter s thompson like since i was (laughs) in high school i was like i gotta read that guy and so i went over there and i really loved the community uh that rasball had at the time like the rcls were like really competitive leagues and i can remember getting like my teeth kicked in and sort sort of like wanting to learn more about like game theory and some of that stuff and as i got better at that i was in the 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 chats and the comments a lot of all the posts at the time because it was different like a lot of the interaction at that point i felt like was on site versus like on social media, which is what it's transitioned to since. And um, I got to know a lot of the writers and eventually I kind of asked like, how could I get into this? They had a DFS uh, uh, job that somebody needed to cover like Saturday mornings or Sunday, like a day nobody wanted to write. So I took it and um, it was perfect for me. I had kids. I worked during the week and I wrote it on Saturday and it did fairly well. And I started like Trying to organize contests every night, like throughout the baseball season, and there were so many game days in baseball that you could really like get some momentum doing that. So I did that. I tried to write at a few other sites, like sister sites, you know, at Rasball, and just do DFS lineups every day, and I got better at writing, etc. And eventually, I got uh, a two the two start pitcher post over there, you know, that came out on Saturday mornings. That was just you know people planning their starters. For the following week, uh, particularly in head-to-head leagues, so I did that, and uh, eventually the prospect guy at the time—this is probably twenty, late twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen—just um, didn't want to do it anymore. He got burned out, and uh, the job was there. Gray asked if I wanted to take it, and uh, I had been around minor league baseball. I grew up around the Pawtucket Red Sox. Uh, grew up, you know, going to 40, 50 games a year for. You know, a better part of my youth and really watching. You know, I watched some of these great Braves teams come through, as like the Richmond Braves, and like a, I saw a lot of players. So I had a concept of you know minor league baseball and the teams that were out there, what the layout was, uh, and had always played dynasty leagues and had been really big into it and got a little bit into the draft. So uh, I did that, and I think my big thing at at that point was we were a fifty player top fifty prospect list, and I went to like a top one hundred, and then went like further. And the other big thing was like, you know, ranking like 50 draft guys, as opposed to just like the top 10, which is what I think the standard was at that point. I think people forget like before like you and I and like the Welsh and some of these other folks, you know, uh, Dynasty Guru, Tom and, and Brett, you know, before that, it was like a much shallower dynasty landscape that like we, I think ushered in this, this age of like a lot of, deep league content and i look back four or five six years later and i'm like wow like we didn't realize at the time that there were going to be a lot more 20 team leagues than there ever had been you know uh that there were going to be you know 30 team leagues and all these different varying formats and deeper minors and and everything else um and you know around that time i think 2016 or 17 you did your first you know top 400 list and then that kind of became like the next standard and bigger and bigger lists came out Um, but I think it's funny to, to, to start from like this little thing I did on my, you know, my, on the side to like bigger and bigger stuff to then, you know, I wanted to, I got more into the baseball side of things as I went to more games and I wanted to do video and I wanted to talk to scouts and I wanted to learn about how to identify amateur players that could potentially be MLB players one day. And, uh, that outlet really wasn't right at rasball like i needed something different and gray understood that um and he's been you know a great mentor and friend to me for since i i started there and uh i started prospects live and you know it was a bunch of us jason panini uh lance brosdowski matt thompson and uh jason woodell and you know lance works for marquee sports now um you know uh uh, jacob um uh zwiebeck who was one of our first employees now got hired by the padres uh jason panini who i think is probably from like the the scouting perspective i probably learned the most from uh you know worked for the twins now for for three years and uh and then jason woodell who i know you know we we had our issues but we've become good friends again and, and gotten really close and um you know a lot of those guys have like you know steered the ship and then you know eddie came aboard and smata um you know and matt always being one of my best friends um it was hard to 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 sort of make that 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 you know call and and tell him hey um i got an opportunity here i can't pass up but at the same time you know it was uh it was incredible to to see that i was you know on the radar of, of jj cooper and the guys from baseball america um somebody that i had always read and looked up to um and thought of as like a different tier or whatever um to be able to to come in and have people who like really believe in me and empower me to to do what I want to do and say like no 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 you got this like i'm going to let you run with this um that's really cool you know that's 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 the best part of it not not the fact that you know i don't have to do sales any longer and I'm in a better mood because I'm focused on baseball all day. Um, you know, that's that's a big improvement. But um, the people that I work with and the team um, and the people I've had an opportunity to, to, to come up with, like Gray and, you know, Matt Thompson and Eddie and Jason Panini and, you know, of course, Smada. Um, and then now, you know, what my future is, you know, Carlos All these people. I know I'm ranting, but it's, it's true. Like I, I, to me, it's like every day this is like, I get to live the dream. This is the major leagues to me, you know, and that's, that's pretty neat.
1: <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a really great story. And uh, I mean, you deserve it. You've, you've never really uh, been satisfied. I mean, you've always been kind of um, looking for sort of the next uh, frontier in terms of uh, player analysis. And I mean, that, that brings me back to to the article you wrote uh, that we're going to be discussing here. Uh, I've learned a lot from you just in terms of um, the new sort of frontier of uh, pitch analysis, which Mm. has become uh, incredibly important uh, in the major leagues, obviously, but I mean, certainly when we're, we're analyzing prospects. And I think that's what is so valuable about this article is that you're giving the reader info that they can't, get from just going to a player's Fangraphs page or baseball reference page. And it's incredibly valuable information, especially for, you know, I think we've got a really loaded class of pitching prospects right now who are in the upper levels. Uh, like, you know, we might see uh, 12 or 15 or even more than that guy's uh, who are in my top like 120 uh, debut this year. And that's just really exciting. But I think it presents a challenge for uh, redraft fantasy players and people doing draft and holds because uh, I don't think you should ignore these pitching prospects just because they're pitching prospects. Uh, you shouldn't get carried away necessarily either. But I think there's a lot to, to learn. And I think that people should really kind of pay attention to this because we are going to see a lot of these guys in the majors this year. Um, and so, you know, I want to start with uh, Shane Boz and Aaron Ashby. We don't have to spend a ton of time on those guys because uh, people can obviously do their own research on Boz and Ashby. They were in the majors uh, long enough, I think, where we can at least draw some conclusions about their stuff and how good it is. Uh, but they both featured prominently in the article, as you, as you would expect. Is there anything that you wanted to kind of share regarding those two specifically?
2: yeah, um you know, I think the thing with with Boz that's really interesting is I think it's it's honestly it's the case with both of them, but it's the it's the quality of the arsenal um just like across the board on both these guys. and um you know, I think that's what um is really so unique about you know Boz uh, as well as Ashby. and you know the thing with with Boz is. Um, I kind of thought he was like a sinker baller guy, you know, like that's kind of what he was when he got drafted uh, by the Pirates. And we've seen what the Rays have done in terms of developing pitchers and, and a lot of organizations, but the Rays are one in particular that does a good job of like accentuating their positive characteristics. And, um, you know, it's actually Mikey Aiello, uh, who I think wrote it for Baseball Prospectus, but he had comped him, this is when Boz first came up, looking at the the data to Garrett Cole and it is remarkably similar. And I mentioned it in the article um, just in terms of the shape of all of the pitches, the release height, velocity range, um, <laughs> down to just even like the locations. And I think, you know, when you look at a guy like Bob's and the body that he has and what projects out to be, it's always been a really strong kid. Um, you know, he potential has potential for three, you know, six or better, or you know, plus or better pitches and potentially, you know, two true 70 pitches in, in his fastball and his slider. Um, you know, as for Ashby, he's just a really interesting pitcher. Um, you know, I, I I think that we get really caught up in everybody needing to have like this this high ride 4 seam fastball from like a low release. It's like, hey, it's Jack Leiter. Like everyone needs to throw like a fastball like that um when in the reality i mean he throws a sinker and it's really good and you know he gets a lot of ground balls on it and then he's able to you know mix in a good changeup and you know uh, a good curveball and a good slider and give you know a lot of different looks to batters and you know he's successful because of that um and i really like him you know i think he is um one of the better pitching prospects that's that's out there and the other thing is um the more that we learn the More we start to trust certain organizations, and I think that his development path in particular has sort of followed uh, a trend that we've seen with the Brewers, with um, you know, three really, really good starters now. Uh, two, you know, that have been among the best starters in baseball over the last 24 months,
1: yeah, totally. Uh, I, I don't really have anything to add on those two. I mean, I think that that's that's really. Uh, what it is, and I think it just kind of comes down to uh, workload and volume, and that's sort of how you go about um, valuing those guys in redraft leagues. Uh, this next guy is someone who, um, you know, obviously has had a long track record of missing a ton of bats. Uh, I dug in on his numbers in the majors and was very impressed by uh, how far the sliders come. Obviously, the curveball. Uh, has been a weapon for a while, but uh, Reed Detmers, you know, there was some good you could take away from his debut. There was also some bad. Uh, The fastball actually kind of got hit pretty hard by big leaguers. Um, But you mentioned in this article that his fastball had the fifth highest width rate of any fastball thrown by a pitcher in the Baseball America top 100, and that kind of gave me a bit more confidence in terms of buying in on Detmers as a guy who could break out this year. uh, How do you expect his repertoire to play in the majors this season?
2: Um, Yeah, I think the thing with with Detmers we have to recognize, too, is he's remade himself as a pitcher a little bit. So um, when Detmers um, first sort of came into the league, uh, or excuse me, uh, sort of came out of the draft, um, he was a through slower, frankly. Right. um and it was a slower curveball some more traditional type of curveball um but he's a guy and you know I'm I've been doing a podcast with Baseball America called 90% have been talking to actual pitching coaches <laughs> um trainers and you know I've talked to Tom House Chris, uh you know Langan. and I talked to Sean McGrath who was uh George Kirby's pitching coach at Elon now is Arkansas uh AA uh, affiliate of Seattle's pitching coach for 2022 um and a consistent thing that sort of comes up is if a guy throws a curveball that has some sweep and, you know, the arm action is a certain way, you can tell that that guy can throw a slider. Reed Detmers is a perfect example of that. Um, so he learned to throw a slider or had a slider, but he throws it more and it's a better big lead pitch. Curveballs will work in the amateur ranks because guys aren't necessarily as good at, you know, picking it up out of the hand or identifying the depth. Um, But, you know, once you get to the pro ranks, what we see is the curveball strike rates really drop. And the reason for that is because guys stop chasing them and can identify like, all right, this is an easy take. And even if I take this at the bottom of the zone and it's a looking strike, it's 50% of the time. Most of the time we're going to get a ball. Right. Um, So guys typically have to really have a slider or a changeup to be successful there's, there's other ex- exceptions with curveballs that more often than not like a Nicoladolo uh, or what Nick, you know what Matt Brash calls a slider that are like sweeper curveballs which we can get into that we can talk about that in a little bit but Detmers added a gyro slider like you know Max Meyer where it's really tight it's that bullet spin that classic slider that if you're behind home plate and you talk to a scout they say you can recognize the red dot it's that kind of a slider, uh, and he throws it hard. He throws it, at, you know, on average between eighty-five to eighty-seven miles per hour. And once you get above that eighty-four mile per hour threshold, with secondaries, but you know, if you throw a curveball and you actually throw it eighty-three to eighty-four, you're going to miss more bats than one that's seventy-nine. It's the same thing with with sliders that you don't have to have as much movement if you do throw it really hard. Detmers does that. You know, he had a really good strike rate on it, like. An elite strike rate on it had a high whiff rate on it it's hitting the zone it's forcing guys to make a decision to swing and when it is getting swings and miss, when it is getting swings at 40 percent of the time it's getting a miss you know that's really good and for a pitch that really only has we'll say a year and a half to two years of like full development that's pretty good especially when you're talking about a guy that's facing the upper level competition in the minor leagues and then the majors are baked in there. Um, shape of the fastball has always been good. All he really needed to do was add power. Uh, he dropped his release a little bit, which added the vertical approach angle. Some of that might've just been the motion in terms of getting more um, out of his lower half, more efficient in terms of the arm action and or, or just sort of motions timing. You know, I don't know specifically what it was that, that, that Detmer's really, you know, changed and refined but in the end um you know he's able to get really good shape and you know he gets vertical ride he gets you know higher above average IVB number um you know at an average of you know 93 94 95 miles per hour where this is a guy that had that shape at 89 to 91 at Louisville so um, I think that's that's what I focus on is those two pitches plus he has that curveball still he can use that as, a, as an early count strike stealer, especially a guy like Detmers that has the command to really sort of pinpoint it at the bottom of the zone. There's few guys that can do that, um, and he's got a solid changeup. So, you know, I think ultimately, you know, he'll be able to sort of work around it. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm not shocked that major leaguer, you know, hitters were were all over him um, as a guy that didn't have a ton of experience against upper level competition particularly you know major league caliber talent even
1: yeah i mean he got sent to double a directly without ever pitching below double a uh professionally so uh yeah i look at what he did his body of work um in the minors last season it's really you know he put up like video game numbers um if he had had success in the majors last year, you wouldn't be able to draft him after pick 400, like you can in some drafts. So, um, I mean, I think he's a, he seems like a, just a guy where he has everything you would kind of look for in a long term, you know, mid rotation starter who, and, and his tracker could have missing bats. is just really hard to ignore.
2: Yeah, no, a hundred percent agree.
1: Uh, another guy that we we got a brief look look at in the majors last season, uh, but we we just got one start, so it's not it's not a ton to work with in terms of analyzing what he's got is Rowancy Contreras with the Pirates. You ranked his slider as the second best slider in the minors in your article. Uh, what can you tell us about that pitch and the rest of his repertoire?
2: Yeah, I really like uh, Ruanzi uh, Contreras. He was He's probably, you know, one of my favorite pitching prospects that I wrote up um, heading into 2021. Uh, unfortunately, it was a report that I don't think uh, ever saw the light of day um, because he was traded to the Pirates, and we had already done that board, and we were so backloaded at Prospects Live at the time that I never had an opportunity to get it up i think we maybe eventually did get it up but um i i i I love the fastball because he's got a ton of velocity all right Um, his average last year was like 95 96 miles per hour um he gets a ton of ride in the fastball he's smaller uh with a more vertical arm slot more like a high three quarters but um he's really able to uh uh, accentuate that and have a uh you know, an above average sort of uh, lower release height. It's not super low, probably about, I think, just below six feet. Um, But he's unique in the sense that he's able to get ride from a lower slot the way that he does. Uh, So it's one of the reasons the fastball plays up. And he's got good command of everything. Um, So one of the things that I like about the slider in particular is he pounds a zone with it, you know. sick, you know, it's way above average. You know, we'll say on average, you know, a slider strike rate is 60, 61 percent. Last year he was like sixty-six percent, sixty-seven percent. He shows the ability to sort of, you know, land it, hit those zones that he needs to. You don't have to have pinpoint control, but you just got to sort of hit these buckets, as I like to call them, um, or the triangle. You know, when you talk about like the four-seamer high and your breaking ball glove side and you know your your changeup arm side he's able to hit those and um it's it's hard it's another slider that's more of a gyro slider so it's really tight in terms of break uh and it's unique in the sense that he has two distinctly different breaking balls he also has um you know a curveball that is uh harder it's a harder curveball it's a low 80s curveball um that has significant two plane break so he's getting you know drop and he's getting sweep um and when we look at the numbers and and dig into it and i've you know done some work with uh you know one of my former colleagues uh dylan white over at prospects live on this stuff um when you have heavy two plane break it in velocity it's typically a breaking ball that's that's going to generate a lot of whiffs. so uh it translates to a lot of swinging strikes and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of whiffs, you know, both those pitches had above um, 50% whiff rates on them. And that's really unique. I think him and maybe Cade Cavalli were actually Cavalli's slider is below 50. So he might've been the only guy that had two breaking balls that had um, whiff rates above 50%. So really unique uh, Contreras. And then he's got a change up as well. It's not quite as good, but um, it's a four pitch mix and it's a, it's a true, sort of power arsenal with good pitch shapes and unique release characteristics, which I think is always really important.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty glowing report. Uh, he, I think he made a one start at AAA to go with that one start in the majors last year. Uh, do you, do you think he has much left to show in the minors?
2: I think the biggest factor for him is durability. Um, You know, I think that's the biggest telltale sign of whether someone's a reliever or a future starter is the ability to um, handle a lot of innings, but also, and I've heard this time and again from from pitching coach Sean uh, McGrath from the Mariners actually mentioned to to me earlier today, is um, it's the ability to make your best pitch as many times as possible throughout a game. Like, that's what defines a starter. And the guys that are able to you know, from pitch to pitch, execute. Whether it's you know eighty pitches, ninety pitches, um, at like an eighty percent success rate, those are the guys that are ultimately going to be starters. Um, Contreras doesn't have that latter issue. The bigger issue for him is health and and not getting hurt. Um, he is a smaller guy, and that is always the the big concern with some of these smaller pitchers. That a lot of times, are for the unique data. Um, So, you know, I think that's sort of, if I, if I throw any sort of warning label on Contreras, it's going to be, yeah, he needs to prove that he can throw 150 innings uh, year in and year out and maintain that level of stuff and velocity and unique shape that he has and strike throwing ability, right? Um, Because injuries certainly can manifest themselves and, you know, uh, walks and, and balls. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still in on Contreras. I really think that he could be interesting this year, especially if, the pirates you know let it rise on the 40 man um there's no reason not to he's already had his debut uh we'll see you know what comes in the coming cba if any changes at all um to service time and how that's manipulated but um regardless even if it's the same system as before this is a guy that should be up in may and should only make a handful of starts in triple a at most
1: excellent well When we come back, we're gonna talk about Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo of the Reds, but first, a quick message from our
0: sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decision. Listen up, folks! I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, moneyline bets, boosted parlays, over/unders, brown robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's Digital Casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in eight states, Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RoadWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. Experience a new way to play daily fantasy sports on Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is an exciting player prop fantasy contest. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Sign up for Thrive Fantasy today and receive a free six-month Rotowire subscription. Here's how you claim your free roto subscription. Visit rotowire.com slash thrive, deposit a minimum of $10 and receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Play in your first paid contest and receive a free six-month roto subscription. All right, Jeff, we're back. And as I said, we're going to talk about the, the two Reds guys, Hunter Green and Nick Ladolo, who, you know, it seems like there might be a shoe to drop here. After the lockout where um, several of the Reds veteran arms could be on the move, or at least one or two of them could be. Um, That's obviously to be determined, but uh, it does seem like Hunter Green and Nick will be spending a good chunk of the year in the big league rotation if they can stay healthy. Um, And, you know, they're getting drafted fairly highly in... NFBC draft and holds for guys who haven't pitched in the majors yet. So I think the market is sort of anticipating that. Uh, what can you tell us about their strengths and weaknesses uh, with green and Lodolo that could impact their results in 2022?
2: Yeah, um, you know, and I think the, the big thing here too is, you know, when you look at these two arms, um, you know, green is of course, uh, you know, on the 40 the man roster. Um, you know, which I you know puts him sort of ahead of Ladolo, I think in terms of um, you know when when he's going to necessarily be on the you know active roster at the major league level. They'd be fairly quickly. There's no reason to delay it at this point. There's only so many bullets that you have in these arms, too, right? Um, so I always think it's best to sort of maximize that. Um, now. Lodolo probably, you know, he's a non-roster in, uh, invitee to camp, uh, not on the 40-man roster, so he's probably going to be showing up soon, giving you a little bit of a head start. Um, but I think ultimately he's a guy that once a spot opens up and with some of these trades it should pretty quickly, um, Lodolo could be up, you know, a few weeks after um, Green. And I think, you know, each of them has the ability to help out in, you know, a variety of different roles, um, green, we know, of course, you know throws really, really hard. Um, you know, average fastball velocity, only guy in the top 100 who averaged above 98 miles per hour. <laughs> it's closer to 100 than it is actually his average than it is 98. To be frank, um, and we know, you know, the heights that he can hit. Uh, he does get some hop on that fastball as well. He's got some good arm side run. Uh, it's above 17 inches in terms of induced vertical break. I think it's above nine to close to 10 inches of arm side run. Uh, it's fairly flat in terms of the vertical approach angle. Um, so the numbers are, are okay. They're pretty good. You know, he doesn't have George Kirby type command of the fastball, but it is above average fastball commands. Um, he gets enough swings and misses on it. When you throw a hundred miles per hour, it will work. The shape isn't bad. Um, so I think sometimes he gets, uh, a raw deal a little bit, uh, On the fastball, because people do see it get hit, it's still a fastball. There's a lot of good fastball hitters, regardless of how good your fastball is. Unless it's completely alien, uh, you're still going to get hit on it, right? So numbers still aren't bad. Uh, he, He commands it, like I said, fairly well. He holds velocity. He pitched a lot of innings at the highest levels this year of the minor leagues. It's a lot to like. He's got a great slider. He's got a plus slider, maybe plus plus. Tons of velocity on it. It's a little bit tighter. He's got a little bit more um, horizontal break than, you know, a couple of guys that uh, we had previously discussed in, you know, Contreras um, or even like Shane Boz, which is a little bit tighter. Um, You know, he's a guy that does get a little bit of um sweep on it. Not a ton, but he throws really, really hard. You know, the average on on that pitch is 87 to 89 miles per hour. Uh, Manifests itself in, you know, above 45% whiff rate. Uh, and he's above 60% in terms of strikes. So I really like Green slider. Uh, I like it more than his fastball, even though the fastball gets all the headlines because of the triple-digit velocity. I think the slider is truly his best pitch. Uh, his issue is the change-up. It's, shape-wise, it's not bad. He's got good, you know, about 10 miles per hour velocity separation on average. Uh, he'll get whiffs. The issue with that pitch is he does not get it in zone nearly enough. And, you know, I won't throw out what the what the strike rate is on that pitch but it's well below 50 percent um that's an issue um i think that's the biggest thing if we see a green come out this year that has that slider that fastball velocity and then is able to add um you know some some command of a changeup, we might potentially see a guy uh that really could be a dominant starter but um at worst i think you know he's a guy that could probably slot in particularly to the reds the middle of the rotation Give him good innings, get some strikeouts, have some really high moments um, and some other games where, you know, um, he blows up your ratios in fantasy, quite frankly.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, is he the type of guy? I mean, he sort of sounds like the type of guy where he could be frustrating, where he's capable of dominating the best lineups and also getting chased early against the worst lineups, just depending on whether he's got it that day.
2: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think it's what, um, yeah, it's like, you know, one of those where (laughs) your your, your ratios get destroyed and, you know, all of a sudden like, you're like, oh, I I can't start this guy against the Yankees. And then he goes out and, you know, pitches seven shutout innings in Yankee stadium and strikes out, you know, 12 batters and like Aaron judge three times or something like he's that guy. Yeah, absolutely. That's totally who he is. And we've all, I think, rostered a player like that or two, over the years.
1: So, yeah, I mean, it, I, my sense with green, I haven't taken him in any of my, uh, five draft and holds. I, I sort of think he's a guy where I might be pretty interested in him next year. Um, but Nick Ladolo is a guy who I actually have ended up with, I think in, in one of my five drafts, uh, what's his recipe for, for success? Uh, yeah.
2: Lodolo is just super sweepy. Um, you know, he's a sweepy left-hander, a la sort of Chris Sale, uh, really low arm action and sort of the way that, you know, his, his arm and body moves. It's sort of like that. It's really funky. Um, but the, the, the thing with Ladolo is, is from that low slot, he's able to do, um, a few things that are really unique. Um, and you know, the fastball, he's got velocity, he gets hop. He gets ride um, from that really low slot. Um, it's not a ton of ride, you know. Like it's not a number that would jump out. It's it's like ten inches of induced vertical break, but that's a decent number when you consider sort of you know how he throws. Plus, you know, you mix in you know the sweeping um, you know uh, element of the fastball. So he gets a ton of you know arm side run um, excuse me. And, and it looks like it's sweepy out of the hand. It's really weird that, you know, the fastball sort of comes out one way, like it was like a slider, but breaks, you know, the complete opposite direction. Um, and then, you know, there's the slider uh, or the curveball that is just really a, a sweepy breaking ball. Um, you know, it doesn't have much vertical movement at all, but it breaks over a foot glove side. Uh, when you have a fastball that comes out like the slider and then moves the opposite direction of the slider, that's a really nice one, two punch. You don't really need a whole lot else, um, beyond that. Uh, so he has a really sweepy breaking ball that he does call a curveball, Um, but you know, it's would have slider elements and he's got feel for the changeup. Um, you know, he's one of the guys that has, you know, sort of a, a, a close to negative IVB um, meaning it doesn't get any right at all in his changeup coming from that same slot. And it's a really interesting look. Um, so, you know, if it all breaks, right, you know, he could be sort of like a, a, discount version of, of Chris sale in terms of how he looks and how he throws. Just, I don't think he's going to be a you know hall of famer his first five years.
1: Yeah. And, and how about the command? I mean, it, in the draft, you know, plus command was was the the kind of the big selling point with the with a deep arsenal and then it it does sort of seem like he's been a a good strike thrower in the minors. Um do you, do you see him uh do you see that being a strength for him right away?
2: Um for Lodolo? yeah, I think um it, it's tough. I think that he will have games where people sit off of the curveball and the changeup and might get some fringe called strikes that um, you know, he might've gotten in the minors and they'll end up getting, you know, balls and he'll work mm-hmm. up counts. So I think that could happen. He does command the fastball really, really well. Um, so I think that's, uh, you know, that's going to allow him to, to sustain the success, I think over a long period of time.
1: Okay. So this next guy um, probably just on paper, the best pure stuff of any guy we're going to talk about, uh, but he has not pitched in the majors yet. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, I mean, I I know you're really excited about uh, Rodriguez's stuff. Um, and obviously, you know, anyone who follows prospects closely is certainly well aware of of his stuff and his upside. But can you sort of tell redraft players about what Grayson brings to the table?
2: I might need a second. Are we love <laughs> My wife like didn't get home, and now my kids are like getting off the bus, and I have to like legitimately open the door and run outside. Dude, and do they, it. They you get it, bus. man.
1: Cool. you <laughs> at that. Jeff taking a quick break. Um, yeah, so I mean, with with Grayson, uh, I know that my ranking on him has been uh, somewhat controversial outside my top twenty, but uh, inside my top twenty five, and. It's just, you know, it, it's not like I'm, I'm not ranking Grayson on the scouting report, all of the sixes and sevens. I'm factoring that in, and then I'm factoring in the likelihood that uh, his tools and his uh, ultimate upside translate for fantasy players because uh, there's really you – know, Jeff's about to go on a, a really um, impressive breakdown of Grayson's pitches, uh, the upside, just how incredible they are. But, you know, I think most people who analyze prospects would have gone on similar, uh, excited breakdowns of guys like, um, Forrest Whitley, uh, Alex Reyes, Mackenzie Gore in recent years. And those guys, you know, their, their stock kind of peaked, at double a, uh, for the most part. And that was the last level that Rodriguez pitched at, uh, it doesn't mean that he's destined to for the same fate that the, those guys have, uh, dealt with, but it's just, they should be warning signs in my opinion, uh, about this could be the time to trade Grayson Rodriguez in dynasty leagues, but, uh, he has stayed healthy. Um, that's really kind of going to be the key to Grayson Rodriguez. I think, uh, coming close to this ceiling. I mean, most pitching prospects that people get this excited about never reach their ultimate ceiling. And, um, so I wouldn't be expecting that from Grayson Rodriguez, but I think if he stays healthy, uh, just given the quality of his stuff, um, as Jeff's gonna, gonna really break down, um, he's going to be very valuable in fantasy. I mean, he's going to miss a ton of bats, uh, he's not going to deal with any sort of lefty righty splits because of how deep his repertoire is uh you know the news about the the park in uh, baltimore the fence is moving back obviously that's good news uh derrick cardi had a really nice uh, breakdown on twitter last week about how baltimore is actually going to play as kind of a a neutral park um something close to that at least in 2022. And so, I mean, that's good news, not only for, uh, guys like Grayson Rodriguez and John means, but that's good news for guys on those other teams in that division. Uh, Shane Boz, uh, the guys on the Yankees, um, you know, if you you turn Baltimore into a neutral park, uh, that that could help a lot of different pitchers in that division. Uh, Jeff is back and, (laughs) um, I just gave I just gave my thoughts on Grayson Rodriguez and just sort of why I have him ranked, where I have him ranked, but I want you to kind of uh, tell the listeners just about why it's so easy to just really get caught up in how special he could be.
2: Yeah, I think it's the combination of feel for a full arsenal of pitches. Like, he has... Four pitches that, you know, he has above average strike rates and above average whiff rates on, and that's just, like, unheard of. Um, he's got really unique shape. Like, he's got a, a, a negative IVV changeup, which means it actually has – which you never see, which means it has, like, true, like, tumble. Like, it actually has drop to it. Um, and that's with a fastball that has ride that, you know, he commands at uh, an elite rate with hop at – 97 98 99 miles per hour um he's got a really good curveball he's actually have a legitimately excellent curveball um and then a really good slider and he'll mix in a cutter variation and he commands all of it and it gives him the ability to sequence everything it's a big body but he has a lower release and he gets you know a flatter vertical approach angle and all those sort of things so metrically he jumps off the page um the big thing with him is like you know, is the body going to hold up, and can he throw, you know, a hundred to a hundred and twenty pitches per start, uh, and go from there, you know, and be be a legit starter. All right, hold on one second again. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to touch on DL Hall here. Uh, DL Hall has really, really ridiculous stuff as well. Um, I mean, I think the Orioles guys, the two guys. Um, but, top a lot of their lists along with Adley Rutschman. I mean, it's just monster, monster stuff. Uh, Hall comes with much more risk uh, from both a health standpoint and a command standpoint than Grayson Mm -hmm. Rodriguez. But, um, you know, I think just given where Hall is in his development, uh, how far he's climbed in the, the minors, and like you said, Jeff, earlier just about there only being so many bullets in that arm, I mean I think if Hall is healthy this spring uh they are not going to slow his ascent to Baltimore um this summer uh what 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 type of track do you see Grayson Rodriguez being on this year uh like when do you think Baltimore kind of pulls the plug there on his minor league development Um you know I think the thing with
2: Hall is like his stuff is so unique um the command is a little better than we think. It's just the issue with him is like innings, right? The durability element with Hall is a major question mark. And that's that's the one that, you know, I don't know if ultimately he can overcome. I don't think they'll ever necessarily have him as a reliever in the minors. Um, but when no. he is ready and they have him up in the big league level, it might be as a, you know, a, a bolt reliever or you know an opener for like two or three innings uh, and he sees the lineup one time I think the big question for him is like do you do you have to limit his innings I mean the stuff stuff wise right I mean he has some of the best left-handed stuff in, in like not just the minors but like baseball it's right. like Blake Snell and DL Hall and he's got four legitimate pitches and I mean a fastball that sits 97 98 you know
1: and then with Rodriguez, uh, I mean, do you think he's up? I mean, cause they, they kind of have these guys that they're sort of faces of their rebuild. A lot of them are nearly done with their minor league development. Do you think that they're all brought up around the same time? Do you think they want to see anything more from Grayson at, at triple a?
2: Yeah. I think the biggest thing with him is like how they're going to handle a service clock. And, you know, some of that stuff. Um, Because there's no reason for them to push it still, even if, you know, even if whatever, you know, the system changes somehow, there's not a lot of incentive for them to necessarily call him up. I do think we do see him this year. Um, I don't think he's somebody that's necessarily going to be, you know, um, seeing like 120 innings in the major leagues. I'd be shocked if he sees, you know, that sort of level of, um usage but i guess i guess you never know i mean i, mean, I, think, I think for him is, is going out this year we're going to see him for at least a month in AAA, if not more um and can he go out and do six seven innings consistently over the course of a month plus hold his stuff and then i think the sky's the limit because how he performs there could you know if he does what he did in 2021 replicates that in AAA in longer stretches per outing there's no well, reason for them to keep him down. He's, yeah, bullets, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, to me, I mean, if he, let's say he's impressive in spring training, whatever spring training ends up looking like, and then he has the same type of run at AAA that like Alec Manoa had, uh, last year, I mean, could that be basically sort of his track? Like,
2: exactly. <laughs> yeah. that's exactly what it is, you know? Um, there's like it's going to be one of those things where there's no reason. The only thing Manoa really had going for him that Baltimore wouldn't is Baltimore probably won't be competitive this year unless there is like an Angels in the outfield sort of situation and and something you know wild changes there. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'd be shocked if it does. So I got kids probably fighting as they got off the bus upstairs. But um, yeah, I mean. It's, uh, that's the only thing I'm pushing against them is the fact that they don't have to do anything, you know?
1: Yeah. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I hear that it's just to me, like if you're starting Adley's clock, like if, if Grayson it, like, I don't think anything you said about Grayson's pitch mix is wrong. Uh, I just don't see why you wouldn't just st- like the worst thing that could possibly happen is you just keep Grayson Rodriguez in the minors for a month or two more than you should. And then he gets hurt in the minors and, you know, we don't see him until 2023 or something like that. So I, to me, I would just let him kind of be up whenever he's ready. But,
2: uh, which I I think is probably what's going to happen. I just, you know, I think there's always, you got to be somewhat pessimistic about any pitching prospect (laughs) And any organization is just not competitive, but you never know. And I do think like from a development standpoint, which I think is what's most important to them, that's probably the right thing to do. And I think eventually it's why we will see some grace in this year, you know? Um, But yeah, I mean, you don't want to see a Brent Honeywell, right? I mean, that's what happened with him more or less. Like we, he should have been up before that injury um, for a month. And the Rays didn't do it. You know, he kind of complained about it. I think he got suspended and gets hurt the next uh, offseason. So, you know, it's unfortunate.
1: So the guy that uh, in this article that we're talking about, which you can find over at, at Baseball America, um, the guy who really I think you sort of swung me on the most in terms of where I had him rank versus where I ended up ranking him on my last update is Brandon Williamson, a uh, big lefty with the, the Mariners uh, you know, obviously very impressive numbers in the minors, but I was unaware of the non-velocity components of his fastball that made it uh, such a, a dominant offering. And then obviously he's got a, uh, some secondaries to go with it. Looks like a starter. Uh, how do you feel about Williamson's arsenal on the whole?
2: Yeah, I think um, the thing with with Williamson is really unique. Is he does have four pitches. Um, he's got two different breaking balls. Um, the The curveball was really slow, um, which, like shape wise, it looks good. It's visually sort of um, aesthetically pleasing, but it's not necessarily as as functional um, as maybe. It had been when he was at, you know, TCU. Um, but what I do think is, is really interesting about him in particular is um, it, it's like the arm action and his release height has this deceptive component that doesn't necessarily translate to like the numbers. He's a higher release guy. It's more like over the top which is why he gets as much, you know, ride as he gets. I mean, him and like Peyton Battenfield are, you know, among, you know, the two um, minor league leaders in terms of like induced vertical break or IBB. Um, Part of that is he's a big guy with an over-the-top release, right? And, you know, that obviously has some impact on induced vertical break and, you know, creating a more clean backspin on the baseball. Um, He's able to do that. And I think has some deceptive characteristics that we can't quite fully measure yet that his fastball at 91 to 94 miles per hour plays as well, if not better than Grayson Rodriguez's fastball at 97 miles per hour. Um, you know Jack Jack Leiter's fastball against college competition because I, I actually have that mixed in like my big spreadsheet that I put together when I sourced all this information over the course of a month and a half, and a ton of phone calls and you know everything else. But um, it played better at two miles per hour slower against double A competition and better um, and you know, the thing with Williamson is like, he's a lefty. So the velocity thing, even if it's a little slower, it kind of plays up a little bit, but he's a lefty with like insane ride in his fastball. You don't see a ton of that. That's, that's very infrequent. So it's a really unusual look. It all but neutralizes <clears throat> left-handed batters and it's going to miss a lot of bats at the top of the zone against righties too. So I think, you know, that's sort of like the linchpin that everything falls around. And then, you know, you mix in the fact that he does have a slider from that arm action. That's pretty unique. It's more of a cutter. Um, you know, he throws it for a strike consistently. Then he mixes in that breaking ball, which does have sort of that two-plane of drop and and sweep component that we talked about before. It's just really slow. Um, so it's a unique curveball. But if you know, he threw at 80 miles an hour versus 75, 76. It might be like a double-plus pitch, but it's still a usable pitch that he throws for a strike consistently. And then his best secondary might actually be his changeup, um, which, you know, has – for the amount of induced vertical break that he creates with his fastball – on his fastball, it's sort of the opposite on his changeup. He's really – for a guy that, um, you know, has that sort of uh, uh, spin efficiency on his four-seamer, to be able to kill lift – or ride on his changeup from a similar slot, that's a weapon. And I think it's one of the reasons that his his changeup is his best secondary in terms of everything. And then I talked to his pitching coach, um, you know, recently uh, one of the stops that he had in the minor leagues last year. And, you know, he talked about how much of a competitor Williamson was um, and just, you know, he's a guy that, you know, talk about somebody who, you know, he's like, he goes out there and he competes, Every single pitch. There's a focus every single pitch. And um, one of the things that this guy actually talked to me about was, you know, what he notices about starters versus relievers is what guys do in between each pitch. That, like, how focused, how quickly do they get back in focus and then execute? And it's like the guys that can consistently do that 100 times throughout a game those are your starters and Williamson is a guy that has that sort of makeup plus the pitch mix plus the stuff plus the unique sort of deceptive characteristics I think he could be a really good starter but he's a pitching prospect and things you know guys get injured and they lose it but he's a guy too that like when we we dug in and we made calls because that's the way baseball America puts together these lists it's not just our opinion it's source you know we're building out our top 30s and that's all sourced from talking to scouts and front office people and opposing scouts and player dev people and you know analysts on the the analytics side and you know getting all these reports together we do that all through from september until december when we put the handbook to press and then we sit down take off a couple of weeks for the holidays and come back and we put together the top 100. And Williamson was a guy that we kept on him and Jeremy Pena. We kept on getting better and better and better <laughs> reports on, um, and he's just one of those arms that I think, like for you, even for us during the process, we our eyes were really open to how good he was. And then getting some of the the numbers behind it, it was like, okay, this this all makes sense. You know, the light kind of came on.
1: Yeah, we gotta we gotta stick with the Mariners here, just because I know you did just get done talking to uh one of their minor league pitching coaches who's worked with all three of these guys. And I mean, much more famous than Williamson are George Kirby and Matt Brash. Uh Kirby obviously well known for his command uh, and his stuff ticking up after the draft. Brash, uh whatever you want to classify his his breaking ball as, uh one of the best breaking balls in the minors. Um can you break down sort of where George Kirby and Matt Brash are in their development and maybe sort of handicap these three Mariners pitchers in terms of who might be fastest to that big league rotation?
2: Uh, I think Brash is probably the number, the first guy in the rotation. And I, I don't think I ever would have said that a year ago. I don't think anyone in their organization would have said it a year ago, but the more I dig into Brash, the more I watch mash uh, map rash starts you know as we need some baseball to fill the void here uh with nothing going on uh, especially until college starts in you know about a week or so um i've i've dug in a little bit on brash and watched all of his starts and this dude's a starter <laughs> like legitimately even if it's mostly two pitches and it's all arms and legs coming at you um he competes and every time he's out there it's just you know it's 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 legitimate stuff so um he has a slider that you know i I call it a curveball in the article i really took some poetic license i guess there uh simply because there's a lot of good sliders right pitch type is most like nick lodolo's curveball if there's two pitches that are most similar within the breaking ball space it's that within the top 100 it's probably those two Um, and it also you know Uh, In terms of internal systems and how they look at transverse spin versus gyro spin, that's a whole other tangent we can go down. Um, But sweepers or, you know, horizontally moving breaking balls with very little vertical movement have a high level of transverse spin, much like a four-seam fastball, Um, much like a top spinning curveball. So it's just a curveball that moves like this versus like this. And I think that's why a lot of these machines, just to, to draw a line in the sand, they mark a lot of those sweepy breaking balls as curveballs. Um, we're, you know, reality, if it's whatever the pitcher calls it, he does call it a slider. So it is a slider. Um, but that is a 70 pitch and he's got a great fastball. I mean, and the changeup isn't bad either. So, you know, he's a guy that I think just like across the board, um, you know, he has the stuff, he has the arsenal. And he's got the forty man slot, which at the end of the day um, is one less roster move that they have to make. Um, it's one less decision they have to make in terms of their control of that particular player. I do think we will see Kirby this year. I think we'll probably see Williamson this year as well. But they um, don't have to have a decision made until December on their forty man. Um, so they might squeeze a couple extra months out of it. And you know, we see Kirby and um, we see Williamson. In July, that all being said, they're a competitive team. They got a lot going on uh, in terms of uh, the roster and some of the pieces that they've added this offseason. I mean, they added a Cy Young Award winner, um, reigning AL Cy Young Award winner. Correct. So, you know, I think those guys all have major league roles. When you look at the back end of that rotation, you look at Justin Dunn, who I've loved for a long time, but... I don't think can probably offer what any of those three guys can if they are what we think they are. Um, you know that potentially they could be a six-man rotation and and they have some extra arms here to play with, you know, Chris Flexen has actually been really good, uh still pretty young and has, you know, um a good contract. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. One of these guys I think potentially could get moved as well. Can never have too much pitching. You know how injuries happen, guys find themselves in roles. Um, but I think Brash is a better chance. Of being within that that rotation coming out of camp than people realize, uh, and I think he's got a better chance of sticking as a starter than people realize, just because of how much he competes, how good he is, and the way the teams are using bullpens nowadays. If he's five and dive and nasty, I don't think they're going to care. You know, I think they'll take those five innings and they'll realize that maybe they get him back with Marco Gonzalez. You know, um, but. I think they're all starters. I think they all have um, unique characteristics that make them starters. Kirby's is the best fastball command of a great fastball in terms of shape and velocity of anybody in the minor leagues. Maybe um, he really just knows how to command that to all, you know, four quadrants as, as Jason Panini used to say, sometimes he's got nine quadrant command that he even has sub quadrants sort of like betw- between the quadrants in terms of how he can land that fastball. The big thing for him is, is development of the secondaries. Um, we talked about Williamson, and we haven't even gotten into guys like Emerson Hancock that are in that system. Um, so they just have a ton of arms, a ton of talent, and they got talent at the major league level. So Seattle's really interesting. I think all those guys are going to fit into the puzzle this year, though, uh, and could be sort of valuable because of what they can do and what we can see they can do just in terms of how they throw the baseball.
1: Yeah, you and, I, you and I both play in uh, the Devil's Rejects Dynasty League, and uh, Eno Saris made it clear to me very early in the offseason that we were keeping Matt Brash. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> um, very excited uh, to see what he can do in the big leagues from a strikeout standpoint. Uh, obviously, hope all those guys can stay healthy because that's, that's a ton of arm talent on the way. Um, things are finally maybe trending up uh for seattle uh sticking in that division uh before we kind of get to some some other guys that that maybe i haven't thought about uh, that you might want to touch on cole win with the rangers uh his changeup and curveball both got recognized in your article as uh, two of the better pitches in the minors And obviously, I think if you look at the Rangers rotation, I mean, you can you can crack that rotation when you're ready. Uh, How do you think Cole Wynn fares this year uh, when he gets to face big league hitters for the first time?
2: Um, It could be rough initially. Um, I think it could be up and down. I do think that he will be a guy that consistently gives you a fighting chance to get quality starts um, dealt with injuries, but last year showed some durability. Um, I like the the mechanism and the motion. He's really athletic on the mound. It's really smooth. Um, he gets a lower release height on his fastball, gets a lot of vertical break in his fastball, um, gets vertical approach angle, a flatter vertical approach angle. Um, you know, he's a around four and a half degree, um, VAA type guy. If you've read, you know, some of Alex Chamberlain's work, he's touched on the importance of that vertical approach angle. So I think that's one of his big strengths is he has a really good fastball and, you know, he averages 93 to 95 miles per hour. He's right there in terms of major league starter average. Um, The slider, uh, really tight, sort of more of a gyro slider, but he commands it well. Um, So that's one of the reasons that I liked it. Uh, I like the curveball a lot because it's got, he's one of these few guys that throws it really hard. He throws it above 80 miles per hour and he has more than a foot of drop on it. So he's getting this, he can play the vertical game with the four-seam fastball, with the, the, the flat approach angle, land that high in the zone, have guys swing under it, and then he can you know, beat those same swings underneath with a, a, a curveball coming from a similar slot, tunneling very similar, that then just absolutely drops off a table. And it doesn't have a big hump on it because it's coming in at a higher velocity. Um, So it's not one of those big rainbow sort of curveballs like Colby Allard had that we used to say, wow, look at how great this curveball is. And then we learned when we learned more about movement that, oh yeah, Colby Allard's curveball like that isn't as good. So he kind of avoids that because of the velocity on it. It's one of my favorite curveballs that, you know, I broke down and and looked at. Um, And I think the other thing that, you know, he has going for him, as you said, is he has Feel for a changeup. It's about seven or eight miles per hour separation on average uh, between the fastball and the changeup, which is fine. You no, know, it's a little bit above average. That's good. um You know, he's not a a guy that has a ton of tumble like Grayson Rodriguez and some of these other guys that we've talked about, but he does have, you know, fairly good shape and he gets a lot of arm side run. To be honest with you, changeup shape really doesn't matter as much as how you throw the changeup, how you locate the changeup. And, you know, the thing going for him is he locates his changeup as well as Hunter Green locates his fastball. It's the same rate. So <laughs> kind of give you an idea, he's got good command of a full set of, of, of secondaries. He can play sort of um, the East-West game a little bit more uh, because of his fastball command. He can do it because of uh, the, the, the break on the, the, the slider as well as the break on the changeup, he can land all four of his, his pitches for strikes at a consistent rate. And he's got a really unique curveball in that it has a lot of break with a lot of velocity. So um, I think he is a guy that could crack their rotation. And I think right away could probably give you, you know, um, number four starter sort of numbers, which if you're in deeper leagues like James and I are uh, in a 20 team league, that's, that's not that bad, um, especially for the price that you probably pay. And, you know, I think probably the same for some of these drafts and holds where he'll be a lot cheaper than some of these other guys that are going off the board earlier um, with guaranteed rotation spots that may not necessarily see as many innings as as Cole can. And I think uh, has shown the ability to probably handle uh, that amount of innings next year. I mean, you look at that rotation with the Rangers, as you mentioned, Taylor Hearn is in there. AJ Alexi, I've always liked for a long time, but like still like it's AJ Alexi. Um Spencer Howard and even like Dane Dunning. I mean, the only guy that's like he's a starter and is, will be in this rotation is John John Gray. <laughs> like everybody else, I, I don't see why Colwyn, former first round pick, couldn't potentially crack it.
1: Yeah. Staff ace, John Gray, uh, staff number two, Dane Dunning. Uh I, I would say Colwyn uh has a very easy path yeah. into that mix. Uh Jeff, who are some guys uh I mean, this is really the question I wanted to ask you most. Uh, saving it for last um, because it's it's going to be guys who are not in the top 100 uh, of Baseball America's prospect rankings. But uh, who are some guys who maybe would have made this article uh, with a pitch of theirs in terms of one of the best pitches in the minors, uh, but they just didn't qualify because they were not a part of the Baseball America top 100
2: sure um just thinking about fastballs there's a couple of guys here like Colby white um, who's a, a, a on the 40man roster I think now for Tampa Bay shocking another Tampa Bay arm that you haven't heard of that's going to be really good that probably will be like in a pen roll or you know a, a bulk roll but um he's a guy with like you know when we break down fastballs and look at some of the characteristics um you know he really jumps off the page so you know, he's a guy that, you know, I would definitely throw some, some, um, some shine on. Christian Chamberlain, who's a lefty who actually, I think, played at Oregon State with Nick Madrigal and Adley Rushman um, and Stephen Kwan, who's soon to be the next, like, big star there, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but Chamberlain's another guy that's, like, really unique in terms of how he throws um, and you know, gets a bu- bunch of velocity, gets a bunch of hop on the fastball. He's really unique, um, you know, so if he's a guy that I would throw out there. I think Nick Nast- Nastrini, um, who I believe came from UCLA, he's a Dodgers prospect, one of the guys they took, I think, in the fifth or the sixth round. He's really unique. He's really special. I think he could be like this this year's – him or Emmett Sheehan are going to be like this year's Landon Knack. They're going to be the guy that you're like, how did the Dodgers figure out this guy was so good in the fifth or sixth round? And – It's because they're looking at how this fastball breaks and some of the things that it does. Other one I'll throw out there is uh, Bryce Miller. I think Bryce Miller has a really unique um, fastball that uh, he may only be a reliever, but uh, he was drafted out of Texas A&M this year as a senior sign um, by the Mariners. And uh, it is already one of the better fastballs. In college last year, it already rates as one of the better fastballs in the minor leagues. Um, As far as like overall player, I'm all on, and big shots to Nate Hardy, uh, who I've been talking to a lot from Pitcherless. He's a really smart guy. If you guys didn't follow him, check him out on Twitter. Uh, and, and he he does his work, I think, in a unique way that he goes and he just watches pitching prospects. And he just kind of writes notes and then just ranks them off of what he thinks on what he's watched. So, you know, I to agree with him at times, but I think, like, he's done the work. I think he has really unique work, so I want to put some shine on him. He's really into Cody Morris from Cleveland. And I had to reach out to him. This is how we initially started chatting. The reports that I were getting on Cody Morris from people within the organization and outside the organization prior to the lockout were absurd. I mean, like this guy's a number three starter. This guy could be better than half the guys in the top 100. Um, We think this guy is, you know, a legitimate starter. Um, And you look at his his background, he had some injuries. He dealt with some of that stuff. Cody Morris is – very legit um he's a guy that was off the top 100 that i think like i would take him in all my draft and holds this year and and, you know if you're if it's deep enough you know because you could probably get him in round 50 and it might be worth it you know
1: can't can't get him in round 50 if if i'm in the draft
2: no um there you go
1: i mean he actually i I do think he's pretty highly yeah i mean he's going people uh Like the redraft crowd is actually on him uh, because of just how insane his numbers were in the upper levels last year. And just the Cleveland thing, you know, there's still sort of that aura on the Cleveland uh, pitching development. So uh, yeah, Cody Morris, I mean, the, the secret's out. I think you're, you're totally right. Nate Handy, uh, one of the best uh, guys out there in terms of uh, analyzing minor league pitchers and he, uh, he reached out to me, um, made it made it very clear that I was too low on Joey Estes in my last update, and and he made a my made boy. a strong strong case. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean you, you should definitely be following uh, Nate Handy. I b- believe it's at uh, pitching specs, um, if I'm not mistaken on Twitter. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I mean Cody Morris. I honestly, when I asked you that question, I was kind of like, say Cody Morris, just say it. I know you want
2: to yep. say it. Um... <laughs> Tommy Ramiro is another one that I like a lot. Freddie Tarnock, who I think we talked about a couple of weeks yes. ago. The more I've dug in on Tarnock, the more I like him, man. There's power there. Joey Estes is another one I like. And Bailey Falter, who is a guy that could see some innings this year, he's got the weirdest foreseen fastball, that it moves in a way in terms of the measurement systems versus how it actually looks at the hitter that it's a bizarre pitch and I think he could potentially be like a really good um in deeper leagues like a good you know if you're look, save holds like he could be a good like holds guy or maybe even a starter maybe he even sees like some some innings but falter's another one I just want to mention here that like he kind of jumps for me a little bit yeah in on some of the systems that um you know I've put together
1: I I remember uh I think I've've told a couple people this so far this offseason about Bailey falter like I I think I think he has a better chance to start than the Phillies do. Um, so, so I, I don't know if he's necessarily in the right place. Uh, but yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's a good one. And yeah, like Tarnak, uh, man, that, uh, that fastball breaking ball, uh, combo is just really hypnotizing if if you watch him. Um, yeah. but he's, he's not a finished product, uh, but definitely a guy that could break out this year. Uh, Jeff, uh, before I let you go, why don't you let everyone know where they can follow your work and what you might be uh, working on right now at, at Baseball America?
2: Yeah, so you can obviously follow my stuff over at uh, BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, we just released the handbook this year because of some of the delays um, you know, with printing for whatever reason. Uh, it's not going to be out. Uh, until probably like late February, early March is what we're hearing. So we released it uh, and available to everybody as a PDF. Um, So if you do order the handbook, we'll still send you the handbook. If you buy it, we'll also send you a PDF version of it, which is great, I think, for fantasy baseball players and also anybody who's attending games that maybe brought the handbook or looked at it before, because now you can look at it on the go. You can pull it up on your phone. You can search the names throughout the entire document all 900 scouting reports uh and like I said this stuff is heavily sourced and based on our conversations with people in front offices rival scouts um you know their coaches uh, opposing coaches so um you know a lot of this information goes above and beyond even what uh, we're seeing and then you know we then take a look at it and then sort of measure it up against the data and say does this actually add up to the player that you know in the production and the things that we're seeing so I think that we took a different approach this year the handbook And I think it's going to produce some of the best results and reports um, that we've seen historically. And I think, you know, that's going to be something that's going to be a standard for us going forward. So uh, catch up on that. And then um, I'm finishing up right now, my last uh, college pitching post, where I've been going through four draft eligible starters going into their draft eligible year here. That's coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, We'll have 20 total starters that are all ranked within the baseball America 2022 and will be draft top 100 rankings um and i just go through in an analytical perspective break down what they've done i actually watch because we have synergy access at baseball america i get to watch all of their college uh for 2021 so i watch all their team usa all their cape cod footage if i haven't already seen it uh, and then i watch all of their starts um and i just make notes and then you know i have access to some data from 2021 I take a look at the numbers. I talk to, you know, anal- analysts around the game and kind of bounce off my thoughts. And then I put all that together and I break down each pitcher from an analytical perspective. And we even look at baseline stuff as like, what do they throw? How hard do they throw it? How does it move? Those are really the questions that I want to be able to answer and then maybe say some suggestions at the end of this is what could happen in pro ball. These are the kind of characteristics they have that project really well in this particular area. Um, And so i've done a few of those they're called future four you can check those out uh and then i'm doing an actual mlb draft college top 25 that should be coming out next week where i actually went through i looked at all the schools in the bonus pool era so since 2012 sorry ucla you missed out on that garrett cole tower tripper power class but from 2012 all the way to 2019 because i wanted to give myself a two-year buffer for even the most recent class. least have some guys get to the major leagues and I look at total picks per school. I look at total, total bonus dollars, of, you know, spent on players per school. And then I look at top five round draft picks per school. And then I add up the war from each school throughout all those classes. And then I put it all together and I have a formula where I ranked out the top 25. And then I have some bubble schools and stuff. And I want this to be an annual thing where every year, the week before the kickoff of the college baseball season, we update it. We talk about the new top 25. We talk about what players and what classes. And I even go through and highlight the top war player from each of the top 25 schools and the top pick player and the top bonus player. So I think it's just an interesting look, something that we can do in the offseason. Um, but, you know, a lot of content along those lines. So we would be d- diving in more on some pro stuff. I've been working really closely with J.J. Cooper on the Rule 5 draft. Um, so I'll be doing some Rule 5 draft stuff coming up. Um, so yeah, just really trying to touch on everything pro based, uh, whether it's the draft, whether it's you know um, prospects, and then once games start, once the minor league season starts, you know my plan this year is to to be at 130 minor league games.
1: Man, it sounds like you're uh, you're kid in the candy store right now. Uh, yeah, man, so, <laughs> ha- so happy for you. Um, Thank you, James. You've been uh, really uh, generous with your time. Uh, you got to subscribe to rotowire but you've also got to subscribe to baseball america i would not, i would not be able to do uh anywhere near as good of a job as i do without uh my subscription to baseball america and i really mean that um thanks so much jeff uh we will talk soon this has been the rotowire fantasy baseball podcast the rotowire prospect podcast brought to you by winbet